Well, welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. It's great having you with us, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Peter Dax, tax executive from ENS Africa, to the show today. Peter, of course, a long-standing writer for Business Day, an expert in the field. Um, Peter, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Evan. Nice to chat. And of course, it's tax filing season. Now, I wanted to actually look at something that's happening globally that, you know, is a huge factor for South Africa right now as well, which is the fact that the OECD, the G7, G20, have, you know, come up with this agreement where they want to move to a 15% minimum corporate tax. Now, really interesting numbers, but I haven't seen enough on what it really means for us. Um, my sense is that it kind of is zoned in more on the multinationals out there, but maybe you can give us a bit of color as to what it truly means for South Africa. Yeah, thanks, and It's an interesting story. It really starts with the U.S. and the U.S.-based tech companies that we all know so well. And their foreign profits have traditionally not been taxed in the U.S. Um, and Donald Trump tried to roll back uh, that position, but fairly unsuccessfully. So you've got these U.S. multinationals that operate throughout the world, and they don't pay U.S. tax on their foreign profits. And then the problem is that they also don't pay tax in the countries in which they operate. And the yeah. reason is because of the old international tax laws that only tax you if you operate through a bricks-and-mortar office in a particular jurisdiction. A lot of those tech companies got away with not paying tax either in the U.S. or in the uh, countries where they operate on their foreign source profits. Uh, so you found that the jurisdictions where they operate started looking at uh, introducing, for example, a digital services tax on a unilateral basis, and that really irritated the Americans. So they all got together and said, let's be sensible and let's work something out. Yeah. And what they've done now is they've provided taxing rights to the source jurisdictions, to the place that these tech companies actually earn their foreign profits, and they've limited that taxing right to 15%. And then uh, allied with that, they've said, well, while we're about it, let's try and introduce a, a global sort of minimum tax rate of 15% and try and encourage in particular the tax havens to increase their tax rates up to that 15% minimum. Um, and it's the 15% that's got most of the news playing, but there's also the sort of interesting aspect around taxing the tech companies on their foreign profits. Mm -hmm. So coming back to South Africa, obviously our tax rate, our corporate tax rate is 28%. Moving to 27% next year, don't forget, it was yes. announced earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and, and it'll allow, these, these rules will allow us to tax the, in particular, the US-based tech companies on the profits that, that they earn in South Africa. And um, so quite an interesting development globally and, and for South Africa as well. South Africa's digital taxes though, and I'm looking at, for instance, VAT, um, have been behind the curve, right? I mean, are we, are, you know, are we sure that we're actually able to, to capture these taxes efficiently? Interesting. So, so from an income tax perspective, a big barrier to us taxing these digital tech companies has been this international tax law concept that we can only tax them if they have a bricks and mortar office in South Africa. And then secondly, you can only tax them on the profits that are attributed to that office in South Africa. And that's why these foreign tech companies have got away with not paying tax in, in our case, South Africa. And now that's changed. So now we'll be able to, to tax them in accordance with our domestic tax law. So it's really the international mm -hmm. tax overlay that needed to change, and that's happening now. 
hasn't happened yet. You know, the guys yes. like to sort of broadcast it to everyone, but it still has to be sort of ratified at G20 level and then sort of introduced into the different jurisdictions and uh, domestic tax law. So, yeah, still, it's still a way to go, but hopefully by next year we'll be able to tax uh, a lot of those revenues. Yeah, I see Janet Yellen, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, has called it an historic day for economic diplomacy. But the reality is, what does it mean for emerging markets? Um, I'm seeing some research saying that ultimately it's not going to benefit emerging markets. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the Americans, you know, they kind of said so, so their agenda is basically because their tax rate was 35% and then Trump managed to bring that down to 21%. And now President Biden wants to push it up to around 28%. So obviously the whole U.S. narrative is about increasing tax rates, you know, because that kind of suits them and that's what, they, that's what they're doing. Same from the U.K. perspective. And so I think the tax rate discussion is a bit of a U.S.-driven kind of conversation. Um, but, you know, I think it will help us. You know, I think it will help emerging markets now that we allow to tax, you know, in particular the, the tech companies and the profits that they in, in, in our countries by virtue of this new nexus law. So I think it will be good for emerging markets generally. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there's been a general trend towards increasing tax rates as opposed to a few years ago where the trend was the opposite. I think the UK is also looking at, at that at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's um, the dynamic out there is changing quite significantly. But, I mean, is it, is it also South Africa's tax rate when it comes to corporates is also quite high by global standards, right? You mentioned... It's coming down. I mean, do you think that we made it meet, need to bring it down further? I don't think so. But, you know, we're coming down to 27% next year. I think mm. the global, the, the OCD average is around 23, 24%. Yeah. The UK are going up from 19 to 25%. So there's a general sort of trend to increase tax rates. Um, and we are a little bit going the other way. But even as well, I'm not, you know, I'm not too hung up on tax rates mm. because the effective tax rate is actually what matters. And you can have as high a tax rate as you want, but if you've got lots of exemptions or lots of deductions, your tax base is still going to be pretty low. I'll give an example. Malta is quite interesting. So what Malta does is their tax rate for, uh, if you're going to set up a company in Malta as a foreigner, their corporate tax rate is 35%, which is extremely high. Mm. But as soon as the Malta company declares a dividend up to you as the shareholder, they give you you a refund of six sevenths of the tax that the multi company paid. You know, so you know this, this talk about tax rates is, is, is interesting, but it's not definitive. One needs to drill down a little bit more into actually what the effective tax rate is and what the tax base of a particular country is. And I think there we, you know, we well placed in South Africa. Twenty, if we get to twenty-seven percent, that's pretty much in line with global norms, mm-hmm. and, and it makes us competitive. And, and yeah. we don't give, you know, much by way of sort of exemptions and deductions other than the normal ones that one would expect in, a, in an emerging market economy. So I, I think we're doing pretty well. And of course, uh, we've got a regime of double tax agreements in place. Um, obviously, previously, South Africa did not have the right to tax foreign multinationals, which are based in um, jurisdictions uh, with a double tax agreement with South Africa. Does that change at all? How does it affect double tax agreements? Yeah, that's a good question. And so they have to sort of rewrite big parts of our international tax law, you know, in the way yeah. that I grew up. You kind of, we lived with this bricks and mortar concept that it's only if you have a bricks and mortar office in South Africa that we can tax you if you're a foreign company that operates in South Africa. 
And, you know, that's, that's so old-fashioned now. I mean, mm. bricks-and-mortar offices, you know, in the tech world just don't exist. So the international tax world has to catch up with that. And obviously it moves fairly slowly, sort of driven by the OECD out of Paris. But I think the U.S. and the, and, and, and Europe sort of coming to a standoff around the digital services taxes put, kind of push that process a bit quicker. So for us as international tax lawyers, it's quite an interesting time because the, the law changes are now happening quite thick and fast, you know, and, and it's been interesting to see. And as I said, benefits South Africa because we'll be able to tax profits that previously we weren't able to. So mm-hmm. interesting times. And as you say, the law is changing quite quickly. One of the changes, of course, also driven by the OECD initiative, um, is a standardized model for the automatic exchange of information, um, common reporting standards. I mean, that's also a significant development. Do you, are you already seeing um, uh, changes in that regard, uh, positive changes? Very much so. And so that came in 2017, I think it was, and it's an yes. OECD initiative, um, and it was you know, driven at uh, standardizing automatic exchange of information between participating jurisdictions, and we signed up to it. And there's been quite a lot of uh, information exchanged between South Africa and various jurisdictions. Um, and those are tax jurisdictions. That's basically um, tax authorities and foreign jurisdictions will send information about our South African tax residents to SARS and vice versa. And then with the U.S., the U.S., of course, always have something a bit different. So theirs is called FATCA, um, but similar to CRS. Um, and we're seeing a lot of uh, CRS information that is filtering through to SARS and um, leading to, you know, investigations by SARS of taxpayers. So back in the day, you know, somebody could set up an offshore trust in an exotic location with a few palm trees and not tell SARS about it at all. And then the CRS, that doesn't exist because that jurisdiction with the palm trees is likely going to be part of CRS, and they're going to have to submit and exchange information with SARS so suddenly that trust that you set up um, is known to SARS, and they can come and ask you questions. And we're seeing that starting to happen already. Yeah, SARS is receiving information from as many as 87 jurisdictions in terms of this automatic exchange of information, which is significant. Um, I mean, just, just in, in line with that, what if you're in an 88th jurisdiction that, you know, that, that they're not receiving information on, um, and, and, and a jurisdiction, you know, are there still jurisdictions falling outside of this net? There are, and some people seek it out, you know. Yeah. They sort of start off with a CRS uh, net, and they kind of say, you know, what mm. country is going to go to that, that isn't part of the CRS. The problem with that approach is that CRS is expanding, you know, so this yes. 87 will soon become more and more and more and more. So you're kind of chasing your tail a little bit. And also the other processes for sales to get information through double tax agreements and automatic exchange of information, the individual tax return is tailored now to kind of create more um, it disclosure and the tax administration actually, and I think people must just accept that, you know, in a world of full disclosure, assume that SARS knows everything about your tax affairs and about your, including your foreign tax affairs and your foreign trusts, etc. And then just make sure that you tax compliance. I think the days of trying to sort of keep information away from the tax authorities, I think those days are pretty much over. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're in tax filing season and, um, in light with this exchange of information, there, there are certain requirements placed on taxpayers in South Africa in filling in that form, right? Uh, it's pretty Absolutely. apparent. It's right in front of you that you, you know, that that's an area that has to be filled in. For instance, on uh, you know offshore trusts and capital contributions on loans and all of that. Uh, there's this, you know, that's you're obliged. You're obliged, eh? 
and then you've got the Thai network center that's sort of being set up as well by yes. SARS, which is quite interesting. And they've um, Thai network individuals have now been identified by SARS as a target segment. I'm not sure you want to be in a target segment, although <laughs> yeah, it is a bit of a quality problem because it applies to individuals who earn more than 7 million rand a year or whose gross wealth exceeds 75 million. So as I say, you know, it's target, targeting the wealthy. Um, and we started seeing, and I think it's a product party of CRS that SARS has started sending out letters to some of these wealthy individuals. Any kind of standard questions, you know, they look at, um, you know, what offshore holdings do you have, um, who facilitated them, where did the funds come from, that kind of thing. But that's kind of just the start of the process. Yes. So as I say, I think, you know, uh, individuals, especially wealthy individuals, need to be very, very aware of their tax compliance obligations. And, and of course, if you don't comply with the tax law, then prescription, prescription is the rule that says now after three years, SARS has to leave you alone. That just doesn't apply. So SARS can come for you, you know, seven, eight, we see orders from SARS, sometimes going back as long as 10, 15 years. So, you know, tax compliance is really important these days. Yeah, and of course, uh, we also have, uh, you know, very uh, well-functioning, advanced tax ruling unit. So the whole idea is that SARS is trying to be transparent, right? Yeah, the ruling unit works well. You know, we, we obviously apply for lots of rulings involved with clients, and they're always happy to engage. You know, you can speak to them on a no-names basis and say, listen, you know, do you think we're smoking our socks and coming for a ruling on, 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 on this position and, you know, on, on sort of an principle basis, and I'll say, no, no, it's worthwhile, send it in. And, you know, so it's quite a nice interactive process with them. And once you get the ruling, it is binding. So, you know, we see a lot of interest in the in, in, in the ruling written. And that, as you say, goes to tax transparency. And I think it's just healthy. I think the regulators, SARS, and taxpayers and tax advisors like ourselves should all be, you know, we're all in the same game. And we should all be sort of, you know, talking to each other and sort of, you know, um, um, you know, sharing information and sharing knowledge, etc. And I, I think that's that's healthy, and that's how it should be. Yeah, I just wanted to to look at uh, the the foreign workers out there. I mean, there have been amendments, of course, making it a little bit more difficult, slightly higher tax burden as well for people that earn an income offshore. Um, is is that becoming a challenge at the moment for guys who you know who working offshore and intend intend to come back to SA? Yeah, the foreign earnings exemption, as you mentioned, Evan, that, that was capped at 1.25 million after yeah. quite a lot of debate. Initially, it was uncapped, so if you worked on South Africa for more than 183 days and 60 continuous, you paid no South African tax. And then there was talk about it just going away completely, and we ended up with this compromise of 1.25 million. You know, which I, I think the first thing to point out is that only applies to South African residents who are working overseas. Doesn't apply to people who've immigrated and are not resident. Yes. I've never had so many phone calls from old forgotten friends living in London phoning me up in a panic of office and say, guys, you're not resident. Doesn't apply to you. So it applies to residents, but I, I, I don't really like it. You know, you know yes. I, I don't think it's going to raise, it's not going to move the needle in terms of tax collections. Mm. And it just disincentivizes people from working overseas for long periods of yeah. time and being away from their family. So I, I never really like this this cap. I mean, it is 1.25 million is quite substantial, but I'd have preferred it just to be, you know, uncapped. And, and the flip side of that, of course, is you know, with the recent unrest, and I have heard that immigration officers are fielding, you know, double the calls than usual type of thing. Um, you know, what does that mean? What are the tax risks um, that, you know, these people that are looking at immigrating, they need to be aware of right now? 
yards. It is. It's a kind of sad part of your practice. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot of people coming in and saying, I'm planning to leave the country and, you know, what are, what are the tax consequences? What's happened though is that there used to be two separate processes that, processes that were run. The one was financial immigration through Reserve Bank, the other was tax immigration through SARS. And they've now sort of combined that so the exchange control financial immigration um, process has been merged with the tax resident um, process. And you now just look at tax residents and you don't have to look at whether you've separately um, an exchange control resident or a tax resident. Mm. It's purely a question of tax residents now. So that's streamlined that process that that which has got that came in very recently a few months ago. And, um, yeah, we see a lot of people sort of interested in saying, well, when do I lose my tax resident status? And it's sort of a combined test. It's sort of a physical presence test. And, and it's also a common law test, which is quite a quaint um, case law saying, um, do you see South Africa as the place to which you will return after your wanderings? And if you do, then you still tax resident in South Africa. If you see yourself as having sort of wandered permanently from South Africa, uh, then then you're not, you're not, you're not tax resident in South Africa under that common law test. So it's sort of a dual test, and, but people are very interested in it and we're getting a lot of queries around that and people are looking to move A, their, their own tax resident status and B, their cash offshore, which as I say is not, you know, it is a bit sad, but it sort of comes and goes in, in waves and, and we also, on the flip side, I see quite a lot of people wanting to come back to South Africa. True. And, yes. and for, for them, you know, for them, there's obviously tax compliance as well. If they become non-resident of South Africa and they want to come back into the country, they need to sort of re-register as a tax resident. And um, there's a bit of PT there because all of their assets now, from a capital gains tax perspective, get rebased to current market value. So they only pay tax in South Africa on the growth and the gain in value from when they regain their tax residence to when they dispose of that asset. So it's a kind of good news for them. Right. But we are seeing those sorts of, um, you know, we do see people returning to South Africa as well. Well, Peter, thanks very much for that advice. Um, a lot happening out there, you know, uh, really salient points for, for corporates um, on the global tax regime, those trying to evade tax. Um, I think um, the bar has been raised quite significantly. Um, and, you know, you still, you have to look at mitigating uh, where you can all the risks. And I think really thanks for that. And also your points for those gl- those offshore wanderers out there. And as you say, a lot of them are genuinely wondering. Um, I have heard of a, a colleague of mine wants to come back. You know, he's been away for a year. The unrest happened. And literally the week after he said, no, he doesn't, you know, he wants to come back to SA. So, I thought, you know, so you do have both sides of that equation. So, Peter, thanks very much. It's been great chatting to you. Great. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks a lot, Dan.